to Forte Catholic Radio. This is your host, Taylor Schroll. From the Red Sea Radio Studios in College Station, Texas, it's wonderful to be here with you today. I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving. I hope you uh, gained a few pounds last week. I tell you what, I might be the only person in the entire world to have lost weight on Thanksgiving Day. I, I became deathly ill Thursday through Saturday, and... Uh, Food wasn't going down. I couldn't hold down water. I'll, I'll, I'll leave the rest to your imagination. But uh, I lost about eight pounds on Thanksgiving Day. So that was just absolutely wonderful. Uh, so uh, not quite the Thanksgiving that I was planning. But it was nice. We went and hang out with, with my parents down in Lake Jackson. And it was good because if I would have been sick at home without the help of my mom and my dad and my sisters with our kids... It would have been terrible for my poor wife. So anyway, we've just been passing around this sickness around our family. So if you would, just say a quick prayer for us that we would be physically healed and done with all this stupid stuff. Just that's that's for the sickness and just my stupidity. If you want to pray for that to go away, good luck. That way I would know and the whole world would know once and for all that prayer truly does work if I stop doing stupid things. So anyway, it's great to be in here with you today. I, I hope that everything's going well in your world. Here at Forte Catholic, we are all about making Catholicism fun again. Last week, we talked with uh, Anthony D'Ambrosio. Oh, no, we didn't. We talked with J.P. Quinn. That's what I meant to say. Anthony D'Ambrosio was two weeks ago. Last week, we talked with J.P. Quinn. That dude knows how to make Catholicism fun again. I tell you what, that guy is hilarious. We play video games together every Monday night. I played played with him for about three and a half hours last night. We were just rolling laughing. Uh, last week we also talked about the trip that Sam, producer Sam and I and two other guys from our staff at Ablaze Ministries took to Memphis, Tennessee for the National Youth Workers Convention Conference or Conference Convention. I don't know. But uh, <clears throat> the plan last week was to talk about the, the, our trip to Memphis and some of the things we encountered in Memphis and also talk about some of the things from the conference that we heard that weren't necessarily just ministry specific, but helpful for us in our own personal spiritual lives that we wanted to share with you as well. The first thing that we shared about was our experience from the Civil Rights Museum. Um, it's actually built into the, to the hotel where Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. And her and I both had a very profound experience there. So we talked about it for two whole segments instead of like half of one like we had planned to. But it was really good. You can always check that out. Check out any of our podcasts at Forte Catholic, F-O-R-T-E Catholic dot com slash radio or wherever you whatever podcasting service that you use to check that out. But today I wanted to continue our conversation about uh, our faith journey in Memphis and then some of the things that we heard at the conference. Also in the second segment, we're going to be joined by my good friend rejoined on the show almost a year later by Steve Picorni from Freedom Coaching about his new book about defeating pornography once and for all called Redeemed Vision. So the first thing I want to talk about today about our trip to Memphis, the last thing just about Memphis in general before we talk about the conference was the mass that we went to. So if you missed last week, let me just fill you in very very quickly. The National Youth Workers Convention is uh, a non-denominational conference. 
probably, I think it's the largest gathering of youth ministers in the nation each year. And it's just a phenomenal conference that's put on, but because it's not non-national, we were some of the only Catholics that, that, that were in attendance. It was, I think the, it was the four of us. We found one other girl at mass, actually, I'm going to tell you about that. And then there was a, uh, two little nuns <laughs> surrounded by all these, you know, Baptists and Presbyterians and anyway, it, we really enjoyed our time there. But because it wasn't a Catholic conference, we had to find a mass to go to. We had to, we had to either skip some of the conference on Saturday night to go or skip some of it on Sunday morning to go to mass because we were traveling the rest of the day on Sunday. So we found a mass at St. Peter's in downtown Memphis. The last time that I went to a mass in a downtown city was this summer in Baltimore, and I shared a little bit about it um, here on the radio. There was a stark contrast. So here's, here's kind of what I was thinking. In downtown Baltimore, the mass, I mean, there was like nobody at the church. It was like just really sad. We walked into this huge, beautiful church, big downtown, you know, like beautiful church in the middle of the city, and there was nobody there. And it just felt so weird being, you know, the church probably had 80, 80 foot tall ceilings, huge church. And there were like 12 people in it. And like half of them were like our team that was in Baltimore. Huge con. So it made me think that like the, you know, the church wasn't alive and well in downtown cities, all this kind of stuff, right? Just because I'm a little suburb kid that lives out in the middle of nowhere. But I tell you what, big, big difference in Memphis. The church is alive and well. In downtown Memphis, we 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 walked in about I don't know forty five minutes early because we all wanted to go to confession, which we did. Um, so I just anyway, the church ended up filling up. Really lively mass, really nice place. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it. But first, let's talk about the first thing we did. We got there for confession. Uh, the priest was a few minutes late, so we just sat there and, and prayed. I mean, that's – or looked at our phones. Like, I don't know. I don't know what everybody else did. I can't speak for anybody. But that's what I did. I prayed and also looked at my phone. So <laughs> um, the priest walks in for, for confession, and this guy's awesome. He's wearing cowboy boots. He's holding a cowboy hat. Like, he is uh, – like, if you want to just, just, like, make a caricature of what a Catholic priest in Memphis, Tennessee looks like, you know, where Elvis Presley recorded all his music. It was this priest. <clears throat> so walk into the confessional, the first thing that you would see is his boots. It was just absolutely fantastic. I went to, I went to confession, and we, we talked about confession a lot on the show because, uh, f- truthfully, it's my, it's my favorite sacrament. I, I love the sacrament of reconciliation because I'm a screw-up and stupid, which is why you're all praying for me. So I went to confession. Usually when you, go, when you go to confession, you get a penance. Like, oh, yeah, you know, if you punch somebody in the face, go tell them sorry. Or if you stole $5, go return the $5. Or, you know, just pray in Our Father and Hail Mary or something. I'm not going to tell you what I did, but all I'm going to do is tell you that I got a full decade of the rosary. For those of you that don't know, that's one Our Father and ten Hail Marys. That's like three times what I normally get, so I must have really screwed up. So, uh, Sam Sam was also there. Uh, she she went to confession. Obviously, we're not going to talk about what she said, but Sam, did you get anywhere close to a decade of the rosary as your penance? No, I didn't. I didn't get a decade. I got the divine praises. <laughs> so, uh, 
Mine, mine took mine was what eleven prayers. Yours was one very short one. Well, I did it for three days. One th- oh, wow. so I got three. <laughs> wow, but uh, so this is interesting. Mine was a lot longer, but I was done with mine th- th- like within the next five minutes. Exactly. Yours? I had to remember. I was really worried. worried. I was going to forget. <laughs> I'm going to go to hell now. I'm going to divine praises on Tuesday. Exactly. <laughs> so, so you said that you really liked this priest. Yeah, he what, was really nice. What'd you like about him? I don't know. I just liked, he was very relaxed. I couldn't see him because it wasn't face to face. There was like the wall between us, but I could see his legs. <laughs> his his legs are just crossed and he, his voice is just very like, yeah, like it's just a very, it was very nice. It was very nice. I liked it a lot. Sam, Sam's so funny. She passes it off like there wasn't an option to sit face to face. Well, there there was a wall, so I couldn't see him. It's like, well, you chose to go by the wall. But to be fair... I think I was nervous. I just sit in the first seat I see. But- <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. That's yours. There's a chair here. You, wait, you sat down behind the screen? You didn't kneel? Was I supposed to kneel? Wait, 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 wait. Did you really not kneel? You were just sitting there? I sat down, yeah. There I've, was a seat. I sat in the seat. I've never in my life heard of somebody sitting while behind the screen. You that that's the he tri- was sitting. Why would I not sit? Because he's the priest. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going downhill. That's fine. that's usually the trade off. Is you can either kneel and have the priest not know who you are, or you can sit comfortably and have him stare at your face. <laughs> I don't think that's a written rule anywhere. <laughs> I never how, saw that. That's how it is. That's how it is. I don't see rules about everyone confession. driving in their car listening to Catholic radio is agreeing with me right now. I don't know about you. That. Somehow cheated the system in the sacrament <laughs> of confession. Hey, they shouldn't put a chair there. If they don't want me to sit there. Oh my gosh. I've That's nev- my theory. never heard of such a thing. So anyway, <laughs> to, to be fair, I also went behind the screen, which is absolutely absurd because I'm never going to see this priest again. I don't know why I did it, but I was actually going to make fun of myself, but yours is much funnier. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we go there. Cool. Cool guy gave me a whole decade of the rosary. He gave me a specific decade of the rosary. He was, I forget what, but it was like, go pray the third decade of the joyful mystery. So I had to like pull up my phone and figure out which one it was because I'm not a good Catholic and don't, don't have it memorized like everybody else I work with. So yeah, Mackenzie just raised her hand. Sam didn't. <laughs> the other not good Catholic. Exactly. Uh, I don't go face to face and, and at, kneel at, behind. At, you sit down. That still <laughs> baffles me. But uh, anyway, we get we get through the mass. And here's something that I have to tell you. There was only one drawback about this Mass. But if you know anything about me or you've heard me rant and rave about church music, which I did a f- few months ago on the show and I got chewed out by Judy Como through text message because I was complaining too much apparently. But uh, if the music at Mass is bad, like I'm out. Like I'm just not checked in. Here's the biggest tribute to this church ever. The music was bad. And I was all into this mess. I was, I was so in. It, it wasn't like they didn't sound terrible. It's just like, could you pick worse songs? Like they didn't sound good, but they didn't sound terrible. Like I've heard some. But <laughs> we just like I looked at the person said it. I was like, what are these mass parts? Like I've never heard them before. But anyway, that's not the point. The point was that this mass was actually really, really good. And <clears throat> most of you know. If you've listened to the show any time in the last, I don't know, year or so, I'm part of a men's Bible study where we we meet together every Monday. We have lunch together. We talk about our lives. We talk about we're all married and have kids and trying to be somewhat decent Catholics. So we talk about 
the gospel for the upcoming week while we, you know, eat pizza or something. So one of the, the great things about this Bible study is we get to like talk and dissect the gospel reading before we go to mass. One of the drawbacks to this is that we talk and address the meetings before we go to Mass. So then when I go to Mass on Sunday, I'm like, oh, I already heard and talked about this this week. And a lot of times the homilies, like, these are all guys who have been Catholic for a long time, some with degrees in, 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 in the faith, and other guys who have just been living as you know, better Catholics than me for a long time. So a lot of times we, when we gather and we have, you know, 45 minutes to talk about the reading, we tend to have heard very similar things to what the homily's about. So a lot of times homilies, you know, homilies aren't the greatest thing in the world anyway. But uh, <laughs> but if you've already talked about it, like it's, it's just hard to pay attention. This guy had me super, super entranced by what he had to say. Because the homily on this day was, uh, if, you, if you might remember a couple weeks ago, if you went to Mass, it was about the landowner who entrusted his three servants with talents. He gave one five, one two, and one one. And, uh, and then, you know, the, you probably know the story, so I'm not going to go into full detail, but he started his homily by saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've probably heard the homily on this b- before, you know, God gives you talents, do something well with them. Moving on. And I was just like, wait, you just took like the trope homily, kind of made fun of it, and then moved on. Because he, and where he went was just absolutely amazing. And I had never heard it before, which is why it was kind of revolutionary and eye opening for me. In the gospel reading, it says that the landowner entrusts three of, three of his servants with talents. And then so he's saying, well, what, what are these talents? What are the things that, instead of talking about talents, he says, what are the things that God entrusts to you? What does he entrust to us? And he said, that's not an answer that you have to come up with on your own. If you look back at the first reading of that day, you know, all the readings on the first reading, second reading, and, and the gospel, they all fit together, sometimes better than others, but this day they really worked. The first reading was Proverbs 31. It's about, you know, the worthy wife. Here's what it says. When one finds a worthy wife, her value is far beyond pearls. This is about my wife, by the way. Uh, her husband, entrusting his heart to her, has an unfailing prize. So what, it's not a coincidence that the word entrust, which isn't the most popular word in the world, is used in the first reading and in the gospel. The husband entrusts the bride with his heart. So what does Jesus entrust to us? We as the church are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. He has entrusted his heart to the church and to you and me. So what we are entrusted with is his heart and we can't stop sharing his heart. Once we share his heart, it will continue to multiply and continue to grow. I just thought this, this was, this was good. Sam, was this homily as good to you as it was to me? Yes, absolutely. It was, I was just like on the edge of my chair, just thinking about that and thinking about um, the idea that, I mean, he kind of said this, but if you can't trust you with the small things, so like the things that I don't like to do every day, you know, like... Talk to Taylor. <laughs> oh my gosh, no, that's not true. I like talking to you. Um, so the things that I don't like to do every day, if if the Lord can't trust me to be faithful to him in those small things, like how can he trust me to be faithful in like those big things, you know? And so that that was really where I was going from. 
Good. And the, the last little thought that I had on the gospel with, when, he, when he was sharing was that the, <clears throat> the guy that had one, that was given one talent, he could see or had the opportunity to see what the other two servants were doing with their money. He could see that they were cultivating them and, and, and having them grow, and yet he still chose to go bury his. Like he buried it and like he had to know what the others were doing. So I was looking at myself and I'll, and I'll ask you to look at it as well. Like you can see the holy person in your life, the holy people in your life, whether it's a priest or your mom or somebody in your family, you can see what they're doing, how, how they're dealing with the heart that Jesus has trusted to them. So how are you doing it? In your own life. So uh, whenever we come back, we're going to be talking with Steve Picorni. And it's interesting that, uh, that this Proverbs 31 was, was the reading that we were talking about. It talks about a worthy wife, that she's, her value is far beyond pearls. Because Steve is going to be talking to us about our culture of pornography and how we can actually find true beauty um, in women and how women can find true beauty in men and vice versa. We'll be right back with that. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. This is your host, Taylor Stroll. It's great to be here with you this, this morning. I'm hanging out with you. I'm here hanging out with one of my good friends from the San Antonio area, Mr. Steve Picorni, who's actually been on the show before. Steve, how are you doing this morning? I am doing so well, Taylor. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, man. I, pre- I really do appreciate that, and I always love talking to you as well. Uh, we talked to you back way back when on episode 11. We're now, you're now on episode 59, so it's, it's been a, a long while, and I think you're the third or fourth person to come back a second time, so welcome back. It's nice to have you again. It is good to be in that exclusive club. You are, I don't know if you've ever been in an exclusive club before. But you finally made it, man. You finally did it. <laughs> we did it together. Um, I'll tell my wife. Yeah. My wife. I'm finally special. Like, yay. <laughs> yeah, it's actually funny. It's, it's how it happened. You were actually on almost a, you were on on December 13th of 2016. And, it, and this is going to air on November 30th, 2017. So two weeks away from being one year ago, and we still like you. Even though you're an Indians fan, the last conversation we had was about baseball because our I'm a big Astros fan, you're a big Indians fan, and they were both uh, doing very well this year. So uh, hats off hats off to you guys on, on a good season. But uh, we had some little uh, witty banter a and some Texan. Yeah, a little bit better. But, uh, a little bit better. Yeah, th- that's the way the cookie, cookie crumbles. And uh, But yeah, yeah, y'all, y'all had a lot of fun too. But it was fun texting back and forth. I love sports because it makes lets you uh, make fun of your friends and stuff. It's a lot of fun. But uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about you and your new book that you have uh, coming out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about yourself, just for the people who, who didn't hear last year, a little bit about yourself, the ministry that you do, and then lead us in to this new book that you have for us. Sure. Thanks so much. So I've been involved with the ministry since uh, formally 2011 called Freedom Coaching, where I work uh, one-on-one uh, with those involved with a compulsion or attraction to, to, porn- to pornified images or pornography. Um, 
And uh, this, this stems out of a personal conversion from this after a, over a 12-year struggle in this. And I know this is uh, deep in the heart of, of many people, a lot of men and increasing the number of, of women um, in the, on the hearts and minds of a lot of parents who are, um, see their children growing up in, in a world that is becoming, I used to phrase, more and more pornified, meaning the objectification of the human person um, as a means of one's selfish gratification. And we see this in, in so many different places, movies, television shows, um, on, on boxes of cornflakes, uh, shall we say. It's, it's all over the place. Um, and it seems to be inescapable. And um, so the work that, that I believe God has given to me uh, stems out of some deep pain that I, got, I went through for many years, experiencing profound redemption and healing, and then uh, being impelled by the Holy Spirit to go forth and, shall we say, set his people free, his people free to live the life that they're called to live. And so I've been working on that, and uh, in the midst of that whole whole time and doing this this ministry, that's um, it's definitely part time work and and taking up even more and more time as 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 things go on. Um, I've been writing. I've been working on a, a, a project. I like to say I've been pregnant for the past fourteen years with my <laughs> magnum opus. All the um, all yes, the women ladies, listening were just like, "Ow, that sounds so painful." Yes, uh, ladies, I do know what it's like to be pregnant, and the final push. Ah! Is, <laughs> do you? The final push is is here um, to be to be uh, very bodily, and um, but we're talking about the beauty of the body, shall we say, and. Um, and so from this, uh, this great effort, um, is coming a, a work that I believe, um, is anointed. And I say that in, 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 in great humility, um, because I've seen God work through this, uh, various versions of this has been, have been shared with clients throughout the year. And the book is entitled Redeemed Vision, Setting the Blind Free from the Pornified Culture. And it's a twofold project where first, I want to help those who are involved with a compulsion to pornified images and pornography to break the attraction permanently. So we're not talking about mere coping mechanisms because there's lots of coping mechanisms or sin management as other speakers have, have spoken about, but basically to transform the attraction so that we're not moved to lust at any image or song or something we read but it's a very different reaction and, it, and it's a, it's permanent. It stays within us. So that's the first plan, first part of this, but the second part is a much bigger project. And, and certainly there's a lot more that, that'll come stem from this work. If we take it seriously, where I, I believe it can go is that it's a response to the pornified culture an answer to the pornified culture and a, and a clearing call for the Catholic church to retake its primary role or it's 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 a um its role as the patron of the arts of reestablishing a culture of beauty because there's a there's a lot of talk right now that we've got to fight against pornography but very few people are talking about okay what do you replace it with once you win that victory and and the, as on a on a on a natural level nature abhors a vacuum well that's even more true on the spiritual level that, that we have to fill that with something here. And so what must we fill it with are the transcendentals, what is true, good, beautiful. And from that 
unifying. And so a culture of beauty is what must be reestablished. And it's beauty that alone really satisfies. And it's one of those elements that those who get entrapped and entrenched or attracted pornography for the first time were looking for in the first place. It's interesting. I want to kind of dive into into both of these uh, these two things that you've set to set to accomplish with this book. With the first one, where you say you like you want to help break people of the attraction to pornography for good. Uh, I, I hear that, and I can I can look in my own life, and I know other people who have struggled with pornography, and say, like, how is that even possible to somebody who's sitting there saying, like, there's no way I, I can only cope with it. How can I? How can it even be possible for me to be set free from this compulsion at all? Yeah, and let me talk about coping mechanisms for a moment. I mean, what's the typical advice that's given? And 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 let me be very clear: some advice is not bad, but it is, but it's incomplete. So, like prayer rosary, go go to confession, go receive the Eucharist frequently, um, get a spiritual director, um, put uh, a web browser, a, a, a filter on your computer, or put it in a, a public viewing place, or just don't look at it. Right? That's the ideas that are given. And for anybody who has struggled with, uh, with pornified images, and, and, and as I said, it's, it's men and an increasing number of women, we know that with the chemical, uh, chemicals that are stirred up in the brain, with uh, a lot of the research that's come out, it's too powerful. Okay, We don't have the ability, a vast majority of us do not have the ability to break this on our own willpower. And if it comes down to pure reason versus pure emotion, emotion is going to win every single time. And we find ourselves in what one of my friends calls sacramental viciousness of going to confession week after week, confessing the same sin over and over like I was. I felt like a woman who had had an abortion 30 years ago, confessing the same sin over and over feeling as though hearing the words that she's forgiven but she can't forgive herself i thought i will never be free from this and this is where so many of those and i I see this all the time with my clients i see this in many countless uh groups on on facebook or different different um different uh, forums out there online of this guilt and shame this utterly debilitating and is preventing them from entering into bonds of unity with others because we're deathly afraid to reveal ourselves to others. And, and this is exactly what pornography does. So the, the goal here, right, is inoculation. So how do we get there? It's a threefold, threefold um, game plan that goes forth. For, first is looking at how all the chemicals in the brain that I just hinted, uh, hinted on and talking about how those chemicals are stirred up. They're, they're the exact same chemicals that are found in a healthy marriage, but to a very different and oftentimes opposite result. And so even knowing that information, digging into the research on that is oftentimes uh, the lights go on and realize, oh my gosh, or, or shall we sell, say most reverently, oh my God, what have I been doing? Um, secondly, it's an intimacy issue in that we've trade, we trade true intimacy for false intimacy. And, and I think this, this plays into the notion in our, in our world that we basically have eviscerated love. We don't talk about love anymore. We talk about pleasure. We talk about feelings. Love has become a mere pursuit of, of whatever and it's become meaningless. And, and we've equated both lust with, lust with sex, but we've also equated attraction with lust. That if we have an attraction to somebody, then 
it's, it's lustful. And, and if, if we're going to be fulfilled, we have to go and act on this. We see this in many cases, in many, in many areas with the same sex movement, um, where is the idea of, of chastity is impossible. And we've got to say, no, we got to go back to, we got to go back to the beginning. We got to discover what is God's plan for God's glorious plan for our sexuality. And this is obviously where a huge chunk of the book is going, digging in deep into John Paul, the great's theology of the body that has, has reverberated, reverberated in many corners of the church, but still has been an undiscovered gift in many people's lives. And uh, so I'm taking especially that lens and narrowing the gaze in talking about this issue in particular. Um, obviously, theology of the body has ramifications for the whole of life, the whole of our faith. It's the lens in which we should be seeing reality. Um, so, but, but especially, it's one of the ways in which we're going to rediscover what intimacy is, how, what, it, what, it's, what, what are the counterfeits for that, and then how do we live that? How do we attain that in a way that brings true joy? And having true joy eviscerates that guilt and shame. And in doing that, proposes the idea that freedom is really possible because there are so many people walking out there that are Catholic today who claim to be Catholic, who are not just card-carrying members of the Catholic Church, but go to church, maybe daily mass, but don't believe that they're loved. They don't believe that the intimacy with Christ, closer than a bridegroom and a bride on this earth, is really possible. And so part of this project, number the second part, is reestablishing those bonds of intimacy that we're looking for. And third is a, the vision piece. Those who are involved with pornography or pornified images who have an attraction to it are blind. They don't know how to see the body in the way that God has created us to do this. And especially, this is a unique piece that's not being talked about in a vast majority of circles of those people who want to battle against pornography or, or to have some success against it. If we don't learn how to see the body as God has taught us to see it, regardless of the state of dress, pornography and pornified images and the body will be a stumbling block. Because there's two, two visions of, of the body right now that, that are, are proposed in the world we live in. Either A, the body is a means of lust, and I should use and gratify others and myself, or B, the body is something to be shunned. And any skin is a problem, that if you show up skin, skin is obviously going to lead somebody to lust. So the answer here is to cover the body. Well, if that's true, then the Muslims win. And we're not Muslims. We don't believe the body is something to run away from, but that the body is something or someone in which we encounter the person and we encounter the divine. So learning how to see the body as God sees it, and especially to recapture the vision, the divine vision, or shall we say a redeemed vision that Adam and Eve had from the very beginning, this is what is going to give somebody the power to be able to tell the difference between a pornified image and a healthy image in about three seconds to neutralize lust and experience something way more freeing. And we've done this, I've done this for years with clients. I'm, I'm a clarion case of this. And when clients, when, when a person discovers this and sees this, the lights come on and they realize I don't have to be a slave to this forever. And it speaks hope and it's beautiful. Man, 
I, I just love when you get when you get riled up on this stuff because you're definitely really good at it. I mean, I you helped me a lot when I was in college in, in talking about pure relationships and all these kinds of things. We told the story the last time you were on that you gave the talk the the day I asked my now wife to be my girlfriend, and it was kind of based on this talk that we heard you give uh, together. Uh, we're talking we're talking with Steve Picorni from Freedom Coaching about his new book. Uh, you were talking about I, I think. You were talking about the first part, the breaking free of the attraction of the good, and you were getting into that second piece. So here in our last two or three minutes together, um, one thing that I've been thinking about as you were talking about this culture of beauty and looking at the body as beautiful but not pornified, I'm thinking of like, because you said the church is the patron of the arts. And I was thinking back to the times where the church was the patron of the arts. We had these beautiful frescoes and these beautiful churches. And I was thinking a lot about these statues of people who were naked, but you wouldn't call that that porn you know like you wouldn't like you wouldn't there's not porn hanging up in st peter's in rome right but there are naked bodies so like being able to have this this view of them so like what does we just have about two minutes left what does the culture of beauty how is that going to help us in our fight against pornography and being able to to be um free and, and feel this freedom that jesus wants for us sure one of the lies that the pornified culture has brought about is that beauty is in the eye of the beholder Okay. Now there is subjectivity in certain things, but beauty does have an objective reality to it. There's there's um, there's three elements that go into that. That where where if we have those three elements, and you're going to have to pick up the book because we only got two minutes here. Um, so there's a there's a clip for the the listeners here. Um, is when we can dis- rediscover what beauty is. And be programmed by beauty because pornography wants to program us, create what's called neural pathways. When we can establish new neural pathways, strengthening what's called our limbic system, then what happens is if we're programmed and programmed into real beauty using these three elements of beauty, then use them to compare to the different images we see, the music we hear, the writings we hear. We're going to be able to see very clearly is this beauty or is this not? And to be able to reject the counterfeit and begin to demand more and, and also to challenge, especially Catholic artists, stand up, start portraying the body in ways that are not objectifying, but are subjectifying to bring out the subject of who they are, regardless of the state of dress, right? When uh, there's, there's certain groups, certain, certain groups of people, and we find them in the church that when we bring up the term of nakedness, they get very uncomfortable because they've been programmed to believe that it's nakedness equals lust. And we who have been were created by God, who were also or have the the great um, the great de- uh, deposit of faith can say, no, God came in a body. God came in a body naked. And we need to learn how to see it appropriately so. This is not to say we're showing off nakedness everywhere uh, inappropriately. We want to say we have to learn how to see see the person regardless of that state of dress. And if there's fear here in our heart, then we must confront it. We must surrender this to Christ and say, Christ, show me what I need to see. Show me how I'm called to see this image or this person. Um, and... And then to all, and so part of that is the challenge. So for any Catholic artist who's listening out there, if you have a gift of art, you need to learn how to have your 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 eyes and heart redeemed and share this redeemed vision with the world because 
they're screaming for it. We're looking for it everywhere. We're talking with Steve McCorney about his book, Redeemed Vision. If you like what you heard and you truly want to beat pornography for the first time or the last time, go to freedom-coaching.net to sign up for whenever, for an email whenever the book comes out. Steve, thanks for spending some time with us tonight. An honor. An honor, Taylor. God bless. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. This is your host, Taylor Schroll. We are back for our final segment of the day. If you missed, if you're just, if you're just uh, joining in with us on the radio, either on Red Sea Catholic Radio in Central Texas or on St. Michael Radio in Tulsa, Oklahoma, thanks for tuning in today. Now, our first segment, we talked about uh, our trip to Memphis, Tennessee, and the very interesting mass that we went to there. <clears throat> Good mass we went to there. Uh, in our last segment, we talked to Steve Picorni about his new book, Redeemed Vision. Uh, it's about setting the blind free from a pornified culture. And we're going to finish off our show today by talking about the National Youth Workers Convention that we went to, which is the reason we were in Memphis, Tennessee in the first place. So how this conference works is that in the morning and in the evening there's a two hour what they call big room which is like the huge national speakers that come in amazing artists there were people sam help me out with this list there was people like david crowder was there oh yeah um for king and country for king and country jesus they, they were, were amazing so good. Uh, the rad the christian rapper propaganda was there yeah the skit guys skit guys oh that, those they are your were favorite there. they really were good. they were amazing um, and then they had you know famous speakers if you're if you're like kind of just in the Catholic world, you might not know who they are, but we we know a lot of them because of this conference. But Bob Goff, who's a you know uh, right New York Times bestseller, he, I didn't know him until <laughs> we went to the conference. I, I didn't know, so I we go to this conference every other year because every other year we go to this conference, and then like the they have this conference every year, but the Catholic version of this conference only happens every other year. So on the off years, we go to this one. Um. They had other other great, you know, just like really popular um, non-denominational preachers, teachers that that came. And then they had breakout sessions throughout the day where, I mean, there was like, I don't know, 15. It was a lot. Yeah, it was like, so they would last like an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And you could go pick like whichever one. It was just like a buffet, essentially, whatever one you want to do. And it was about, most of it was about ministry and being in ministry and being a youth minister. But a lot of it was... I mean, part of being a youth minister is taking care of yourself spiritually, being fulfilled spiritually. That's part of this conference is like a way for us as youth ministers to be poured into and to be filled up. They even had a, a service project that you could do throughout. the. It was like one of the sessions that you can go to. And I think you, you filled bags of food and then they took it to, I guess, like, I don't know where they sent it off to, but they bagged food. <laughs> That that it was our to go bags. Whatever we left. <laughs> it was not our to go. I bags. had literally no idea they were doing this service project. Yeah, I but almost went. That's that's why I did not. I was either in another session or napping. Uh, so <laughs> I did nap during one of the sessions, which is crazy. If you know me at all, you know that I don't nap. I took one of my like three naps in the world because I had to wake up at like five in the morning, and I don't like waking up between you know. Earlier than don't, seven. Don't I'm don't not going to say what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
let's just say I'm not a nice person in the wee hours of the morning. <laughs> God's making me stop talking. I'm like joking for some reason. <laughs> There's like this cute little little video I saw the other day, and it's like. Um, it's this cute little dog looking out the window and it's like, when you're a morning person and he's like looking out all happy and then it's like, and then it's the not morning person and this dog <laughs> like sits up and his eyes look like he's crossed and he was having a hard time. He was having a hard time. See, I love memes. Absolutely. They don't come across as well on the radio. <laughs> I've tried to do what you just did, explain it's memes terrible. and everybody's just listening like, what? <laughs> If you haven't seen it, go find it. It's really funny. Ugly okay. dog meme. <laughs> Look at it. So anyway, back to this. I'm not choking anymore. Thanks, Sam, for filling in. You're a fantastic no host. Uh, so I'm still ch- choking for some reason. That's what you get. You were you were making a joke again. It's okay. Sam's back. God has sm- smit 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 me. He's smitten with me. I don't know. Um, so the first. I'm, what we want to do in this last segment, other than just stay alive, which is what I'm trying to do, but we want to talk to you about some of the things that we heard at the conference that we thought would be helpful for you guys, not the ministry tactics or any of these kinds of things, but the things that really sit with us and uh, challenged us and pushed us forward and encouraged us. So the first night, there was a man named Bob Goff, who I think is one of the, he's an older guy, probably in his 60s or 70s. I want him to be my grandpa. Like this guy is one of the jolliest people I've ever met. He's kind of like the like Christian version of Bernie Sanders, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that's not a good comparison. It's at least kind of what he looks like. But he's so <laughs> joyful. He is like very he's joyful. I, I don't think he's ever said a negative word in his entire life. I don't know, maybe he has. But uh he is an awesome, awesome man. <clears throat> Funny story about Bob. This will this will kind of encapsulate Bob Goff. Okay. He does a lot of work in in Africa, and he's a lawyer, and he did a lot of like law work, like humanitarian lawyering, like trying to help out these tribes or countries or whatever. And I forget the country that it was, but uh, you know he does he's a lawyer by profession, but works a lot with churches and with ministries. And he was going back and forth, and he would actually live a few months in this African country. Uh, which is hilarious because he's just like pasty white, white hair. <laughs> he does he does not fit in. I think it was like Nigeria. I don't remember where it was, but <clears throat> anyway, they liked him so much, and he 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 like became part of the community, not just like you know this foreigner coming in to fix us or whatever. Like, he actually became part of the community so much so that they asked him to be their ambassador to the United States. Not can you be the ambassador from the United States to us? to come spend time with us and 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 tell us, you know, share, share America with us. They asked him, hey, can you be our representative to the United States? That's crazy. <laughs> it was, it's insane. So he's telling us this story and he does a lot of work with them. He would live with the, live over there and, and, and live in the United States. He doesn't do it anymore. He was telling this story a couple years ago, but um, he was telling this story when he lived at the embassy. So he was living in America at their embassy to the United States. You know, they had this whole house, all this kind of thing, right? <clears throat> in this street that he lived on, he actually did something that a lot of us don't do. He actually loved his actual neighbors. <laughs> you know, Jesus, who was our neighbor? A- anyone that you come in contact with. Like, start with the people who live on your street, right? That's the, that's the real challenge. The people that, you know, blare music at one in the morning while your kids are trying to sleep. My stupid neighbors. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I love them. We'll start there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, there was a lady on his, on his street that was a widow, and she actually, she's older, found out that she, she had cancer and that she was actually 
passing away. Like they, there was, they, you know, they, they terminal, right? Like they, they knew that she was going to pass away sometime soon. <clears throat> so Bob went and asked her, you know, they, they had, they had been spending time together for years. Bob said, you know, like, do you have a bucket list? You know, the things you want to do before you die. And she said, really only one thing that I w- I've always wanted to do that I've never done in my life. And Bob goes, well, what's that? She says, I want to TP a house. Like, I want a toilet paper house. She had never done that. She was talking about, like, her childhood, how she had always wanted to do it. But because she was a good Christian woman, she never did it. So Bob's like, well, let's go do it. So it's all these, like, geriatric 70-year-old people. This is crazy. Hilarious. They go out in the middle of the day, like 1 p.m., 2 p.m. <laughs> Not even at night. There's old people throwing toilet paper on this house. And a cop drives by because somebody called the cops on him. And he's like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> like, you can't do this. <laughs> like, I just imagined that cop. Like, that is a weird call. You know, cops get some weird calls. That's a weird call to get. Uh, There's a lot of old people <laughs> throwing toilet paper at trees in front of this person's house. I can only imagine what's going through his head when he walked up. But anyway, he's like, you can't do this. You need to stop. And Bob's like, no, <laughs> we're going to keep going. This is the only thing that she wants to do. And the guy's like, like, you have to stop. I told you you have to stop. Like, Bob's like, what are you going to do? Arrest me? He's like, well, I'm going to have to if you keep going. Like, the guy's trying to be nice. And Bob looks at him and says, I'm an ambassador. I have diplomatic immunity. You can't arrest me. <laughs> and they keep throwing toilet paper. That is the most boss thing <laughs> I have ever heard somebody say any anywhere. Because he was the ambassador, the, the local police could not arrest him. So that is these old people kept throwing toilet ridiculous. paper with the cops watching them, and the cops couldn't do anything. I absolutely love Bob. That's Cop. not where I thought the end of the story was going to go. I thought it was going to be like, his house, his other house, or something, and nope, nope. that's the story. That's Bob Goff. So that's anyway, B- Bob was was talking to us, kicking off the conference for us, and he was saying uh, the maybe the best line. We're going to ca- kind of share the best one liners from these talks. <clears throat> He's what encapsulates his talk is talking to people who are supposed to share the gospel. Obviously, us as youth ministers, but talking to you too, right? All of us are baptized priest, prophet, and king. My baby was baptized this Sunday. Hallelujah. Our uh, heathen child is now a Christian little girl. (laughs) He said, stop being Jesus' lawyer. He doesn't need one, and you suck at it. (laughs) That might be the greatest quote to somebody in ministry of all time. Essentially, he's saying, like, stop defending Jesus. Like, with people who either don't agree with Catholics or don't agree with Christians, arguing with them about, you know, this like apologetics thing, which which happens a lot, like frankly on Catholic radio, right? He says, don't don't start there. Like having that knowledge is every new thing we learn about God is another reason to love him. I'm all about the knowledge. But when we're, we need to meet people where they are like Jesus did. He said, a lot of times we're trying to meet people at the finish line, which is where these, these, these tough questions and this catechetics times things, these apologetics things come into play. But we need to love people even when their theology is terrible. So even when somebody comes up and says, like, Jesus was a bird, you're like, uh, like if you start yelling at them and arguing against them, <laughs> trying to defeat them in an argument, they're going to be like, okay, whatever. And they'll walk away still thinking that Jesus is a bird. It's true. Maybe Holy Spirit was a bird would be a better one. But, you know, I'm not good at this. So um, I, I thought that was really good. Just not being argumentative, but truly meeting people where they are, loving them. And then 
as you start working through these relationships and they start to see the love of Jesus in you and through you, then you can start having these conversations. Um, the, the other thing that he said, <laughs> I won't finish with this. This is another funny line. If you don't love being around people, you're going to hate heaven. <laughs> <laughs> he did say that. He did say that. I thought that was funny because I've thought that sometimes. <laughs> what I want to close with with him was he's talking about the story of the blind guy being partially healed. So Jesus yeah. walks up. There's a blind man. He he heals him, but not fully. And the guy's like, I see trees or, or people that look like trees, right? So <clears throat> what he says about this is that most of us, we're, we're talking with Steve earlier about like being fully healed from pornography, right? And he said that most of us, if we were this blind man, if we were completely blind and all of a sudden we could see light and figures, we'd be like, whoa, this is awesome. Thanks, Jesus. And most of us would be good with that. Like this is, I am so much better now that I've met Jesus than I was before. I couldn't see anything. And now I can see lights and colors and shapes. But he, he the thing that Bob says is like, God is asking us what we want. Jesus walks up to this man. What, what do you want from me? A Pepsi. No, like I want to see, right? He asks big, but then he's real with him. He keeps leveling with Jesus, even when the healing's partial. He tells him, look, I can't fully see, but I want to see. So for, for you and me, when we're on this process of like Jesus healing us and uh, quote unquote fixing us and leading us closer to him, keep asking. For God to, to continue working on you, to continue to, to set you free, to continue loving on you. So that was that was the big takeaways from Bob. The next night was this guy I'd never heard of. His name was Rich Velotis. I think I'm saying that right. V-I-L-L-O-D-A-S. And he talked about um, the spirituality of the desert. And I think, Sam, you liked a lot of things that he said. What's kind of stuck out to you from what he shared? Yeah, I, I think the big thing that we normally hear this a lot. You can't help others until you've helped yourself. You know, even when you go to like an airport we were just in an airport when we went to memphis like they tell you put your own like oxygen mask on before you help someone else um and so like you hear that a lot especially when we're doing ministry like we're helping people Uh, but he talked about it in a little different way than than i'd heard it before but he talks about what did jesus do before he actually started his ministry and the holy spirit led him out to the desert and when he was led out to the desert he was there for 40 days and he was there to figure out like who he was, like his identity before he went out to like help people. And so that was really cool. Him talking about where are you finding moments for the spirit to lead you into the desert? Where are you finding moments of, of prayer to know him, to get to know the Lord so that you can go and help others around you as well. There's a couple of things from the desert that really stuck out to me as well. Uh, he he talks about that the desert offers us the priority of silence. That's so often in our world, like it's not quiet. Like my world's not quiet. It's I and I'm being completely honest. If it's quiet, like I'm like, oh, I need to like play a podcast or something. Like I need to be, and I, I play it off as like, oh, I need to be constantly learning or something stupid like that, right? But <clears throat> I don't like silence because like I'm just inundated with with sound. And Jesus shows us the importance of this silence. And I thought this was interesting. He compared it to to a, a relationship. So on a first date, if you sit there on the first date and it's completely silence, super awkward and you're not getting a second date, right? 
But I love the time. I've been married to my wife for five and a half years now. I love the times where we're just quiet and in the room together and just being, right? Just being together, hanging out. <clears throat> and he said this, uh, quote, verbatim. He said, the, the degree to which we are intimate with someone is the degree to which we can sit silently with them and it's not awkward. And that was a huge challenge for me in my prayer. Because I, you know, I, I sit down to pray for 30 minutes. And then I was like, man, it gets, it, it's quiet. And I'm like, okay, what do I say now? Out of things to say. And it's 30 seconds in. Oh, crap. <laughs> you know, like I need to <laughs> struggle. Then I like try to start reading the Bible. I like find something to do. Right. Which is good. I love you know reading the Bible or praying or like wrote prayers or any of these things, right? But that was a huge challenge for me in my prayer life to add more silence so that you know pushing quote unquote pushing through the awkwardness and, and, and getting more familiar with God. And another thing he said, like you were saying, before we can before Jesus goes out to do ministry, he goes into the desert. And I think the one quote that Rich said was actually a quote from Mark Iaconelli. It's only transformed people that can transform people. So like, obviously Jesus is the one who does the transforming, but once we experience it, we, we can become the, the greatest um, like impetus is for change by sharing with sharing with people how God has changed us. Like that's what Steve is doing with the, with this book that he was talking about in the second segment. He was completely changed and he knows that this can happen because it happened for him and it can happen for us too. And whatever, whatever uh, your experience in your life as well. So uh, that's our thoughts from the conference. I want to thank you for listening today. Uh, If you would please help me out. iTunes has a new way of rating podcasts. If you are in the podcast app, you just search Forte Catholic. You can hit subscribe. You can also post a review right there. Please do so. Give me a couple of stars, maybe three, maybe four, maybe five. Post review. It'll help more people hear the show. We will be back next week. Say it.